When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Dunzo. This is a podcast that explores hookups and breakups of famous lovers and friends, both real and fake, and all the discarded pop culture of yesteryear. I'm your host, Troy McKeady. You guys, welcome to another episode of Dunzo. It is me, Troy McKeady. And I am joined by a new guest today. I am very excited for this because he's actually low-key one of my favorite YouTube channels. So I'm like geeking out kind of a little bit. Um, but I'm joined today by Matt Baum. Did I say it right? <laughs> yes, you did. Baum. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Oh my God. I'm so happy that you're here. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've Your YouTube channel has always been one of the things that I send to people like Whenever somebody's looking for like a fun, like deep divey, like something to get lost in that they can watch like a million videos in a row, your channel is so great for that. And I really want you to tell my listeners like what you do. Oh, well, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, basically, so on my, my channel, I talk about pop culture history to do some storytelling about the making of behind the scenes stories, particularly as it relates to what was going on with queer stuff uh, behind the scenes and in real life. So, you know, essentially my channel is about how the um, queer content on television and movies and media uh, also reflects the real life story of, of queer people's lives uh, out, out in the world, the actual stories of our lives. Yeah, and I got really excited when we, um, so when I had messaged you about doing this, I was like, you know, just send me like a, we'll do like a short list of shows like to talk about, you know, and the list that you sent me was identical to what I was hoping you would send. It was like, right, the nanny, Golden Girls, uh, Will and Grace, there was some um, Ellen content on there. I was like, okay, yes, this is like, this is the conversation I was hoping to have, Um and yeah, I'm just excited to get into it. I figured we could kind of look at some examples of shows that handled queerness in like a really positive way, or at least I would say just kind of based on your videos, if not positive, at least well-meaning, mm-hmm. well-intended, sure. you yeah. know? Yeah, there's some, their hearts were in the right place kind of shows. Um, I think one of, a great example of that, for example, is Rock, which had the first that we know of uh televised uh same-sex commitment ceremony in american prime time and uh it's really a positive uh depiction although the terminology is not exactly what we use today but um you know it's one of those where like they did a good job it was actually it was actually good we wouldn't do it exactly the same way today but hey you know times change exactly at times change and also i wanted to talk about some not so great examples um either because of how poorly they handled it on the show or how intensely negatively it was received by the public I would say Ellen is a great example of that where I'm like that is something that still I mean I'll be telling my therapist about the response to Ellen coming out when I'm 90 you know what I mean yeah that was a real I mean hot button issue hard to exaggerate just how intensely people responded like it was such a big 
news item at the time in a way that we just, you know, don't do today with sitcom. Like it's hard to imagine a sitcom being so important to people today as, as it was back then. Yeah. So I want to start with what I would say, and I feel like you would agree with me. I won't put words in your mouth, but I feel like you might agree. I would say the crowning jewel example of how to handle queerness on television, especially during a time in the 90s when people are freaking out about the AIDS crisis and things like that, is The Nanny. Mm -hmm. I think Fran Drescher is really just, it, it really doesn't get any better to me. She's wonderful. And I think a lot of the credit there goes to to her, uh, to Fran Drescher, and to the folks that she was working with, in particular her husband, uh, who later came out as gay. But um, even, you know, at the time, when you look at what was happening on television, there was a lot of like, it was still a time of like gay disgust. Like, oh, that's, you know, they, I, I don't think they even used the word queer at that time, but oh, that's that's pretty gay or oh, lesbian, that's scary. Um, and then the thing that sets the nanny apart is just how nonchalant and matter of fact that gay people are just a part of her life. No big deal to, to an extent that she maybe didn't realize at the time. But uh, there's a great episode where she meets a guy and just assumes that he's gay um, because they have a good rapport. He likes shopping. He knows about Broadway. Um, and when she discovers that he's straight, uh, that really changes their the relationship. But not because not because she's like gay. That's controversial. She's just like, oh, I now now you're available for me to have a crush on because you're you're straight um yes you know it's it's very different from like oh no this person's gay what do we do like you'd see on the simpsons and i think the simpsons episode with john waters is fantastic but um that's certainly a much more um anxious response uh same thing on designing women in the episode suzanne goes looking for a friend you know you see often you see somebody being like uh oh there's a gay person here it's a crisis what do we do about it yeah it's funny that you bring up the simpsons because i would almost say that like the smithers of it all is mm -hmm. like representative of what it meant to be a gay character on tv at the time where like it's always sort of uh questioned but not directly and there are jokes around it but like not maybe always directly you know it's like smithers having a doll collection things like that mm -hmm. where it's like they're you know they're coding this person to be gay and whether it's a good or bad thing is like up for debate i mean i guess it depends on the day you know, mm -hmm. um, like that Simpsons episode, I love the episode, but I, it's, it's so, it's so odd, it's placement in that show, because it doesn't feel like it fits with the tone of the rest of the Simpsons to me, like, mm -hmm. Homer's gay panic, but it's like, it's the freaking 90s, you know? You know, I think, I have a couple thoughts there. One is, I, I'm willing to give the Simpsons a little bit more of a past on um, Smithers, in part because that show is so much a or so often a commentary on pre previous media, um, mm. and I think Sims, uh, Smithers is very much a um, a parody, often not always uh, a parody of a type of character that you would see much more frequently in decades past, uh, particularly when the writers of The Simpsons at that time would have been kids watching television. Yeah. You know, and seeing, for example, I don't know why this is the first example that springs to mind, but um, seeing uh, the Nancy Walker show, which had a, you know, a gay best friend character and and, and Smithers really slots into that or fits into that slot. Uh, that having been said, I, I, I agree with you that um, Homer's um, panic about John does feel on one hand a little out of left field. Like, why does he care so much at the same time? Um, you know, I, I don't think it's so um, alien that a character like Homer would um, be 
surprised or taken aback or you know it's just not you know something explicitly gay something someone who's just openly gay just not a part of his life at that time um yeah. and you know he, he does feel a little more i think in that episode homer does occasionally feel a little more like i don't know he feels more like an al bundy some somehow oh that's such uh, a good yeah that's a good comparison yeah. But I don't think it's totally like I don't think it wrecks Homer's character. Like you know, he's right. an idiot. Homer Homer's an idiot, and that he's having <laughs> yeah. an idiotic response is you know that's as as in keeping with Homer's personality as you know suing the the uh, all you can eat buffet because they kicked him out after they ate all the food. <laughs> it's not so different. <laughs> no, you're totally right. You're right. It is. It's very on par with uh, something that you describe in a lot of your videos with like the this sort of like that like scream reaction of somebody finding mm -hmm. out in a sitcom that somebody's gay in the eighties or nineties or like, you know, that sort of like wide eyed moment where they're like, yeah. he's gay, you know, like that happens so <laughs> much. Um, I love it. I miss that. Honestly, like I don't miss being like a, a subject of horror, but right, I yeah, yeah. miss the moment that I, I often refer to is I can't believe it's not heterosexual when, and you know, it's just something that occurs basically from the seventies to the nineties. We, I, yeah. I don't think I've seen it. After 2000, I don't think I've ever seen it, but you see it on All in the Family, you see it on, even on the Golden Girls, you see it on Designing Women, you see it on, I, for sure, that, like, scream. Uh, there's a moment yeah. on um, on Murphy Brown where where they're shocked that a co-worker, where some of them are shocked that a co-worker might be gay. And I do kind of love that, like, we have that power over the straights. <laughs> yes, I know, I know. And that iconic line that doesn't exist anymore. Well, I guess it does, but you don't hear it as often. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, yeah, that is exactly so quintessentials 90s sitcom. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, God, I'm not judging, but you know, like that whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I think that line's really important because I just released a, a Seinfeld video where I think it's really important to note that in that episode, previously, you would often see a character responding to gay, uh, you know, wanting to distance themselves from whatever was gay. And in that episode, what you're seeing is a tension of them wanting to distance themselves from homophobia. They're they're yeah. very quick and they acknowledge that they, I, clearly they are freaked out by whatever gay thing is around them. But <laughs> for the first time they're acknowledging, oh, that's, but, but we shouldn't express, that's not acceptable to express. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great episode too, by the way. It is really like, I think it holds up well. I think it endures really well. Um, it, it is, there are aspects of it that are dated, like their their agitation over some yeah. of it. Yes. Um, but, you know, I, I, it, it's certainly not one of those where you're like, I often compare that to um, WKRP or the episode Less on the Ledge from the uh, late 70s, um, where the character Less wants to throw himself off of a building when someone thinks he's gay. Oh my God. Um, it was 15 years earlier. And, and you really like the, the change from one to the other is uh, real remarkable. Well, before we gallivant too far away from the nanny, because yeah. you and I, I feel like we could do what we're doing right now for seven straight hours. I can already tell that. Zoom. <laughs> yeah, <I'll load> the <laughs> schedule. I think that the nanny is also a really great example of what it looks like to have queer people mm -hmm. writing a show, you know, and mm -hmm. like these aren't old, you know, middle aged straight men trying to sort of figure out how to write this in some artistic way that doesn't offend middle America but is still not pro gay people it's just it's a queer voice and you can hear it like mm -hmm. you can feel it you can hear it it just feels so authentic I think that's the thing that separates the nanny from so many shows that like that covered this 
You know, I, I agree with that. I think so much of the nanny is her, it's, it's, is Fran. Like there's, it's such a, it is weird to say autobiographical in the sense that like, not the details, but the voice is so authentically yes. Fran Drescher's. Um, and, you know, that I don't know that Mark Jacobson was out to even himself at that time, but um, his presence there, I'm sure had a, an impact. And yeah, I, I don't know that much about the private lives, the personal lives of the writers of The Nanny, but I mean, the the gay stuff that we see does feel very, you know, it's written from a place of real affection and and empathy, you know, yeah. and obviously there there have been queer folks working in television since the beginning. Yes, um, absolutely. But uh, it, it does feel like there was perhaps less um, resistance to you know, allowing them or their perspective into the writer's room. And I don't know if that happened yeah. because the writers were queer, maybe they're closeted, maybe they just knew queer people. But um, they, uh, yeah, I agree. Authenticity is definitely the word I would use to to describe the, um, you know, the, the the depictions there on the episode where she meets a guy who turns out to be straight on the episode where there's a, a queer woman who um, Fran was trying to, who assumed oh, was trying to get with, with Mr. Sheffield. So um, good. That's another one where where the actress, it's kind of a weird coming out, um, but uh, once again, like the the reaction to it is exactly what a queer person would want, which is that's great. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally, absolutely, good for you. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? And I also love the moment on that episode where Fran is like, she's like contemplating, like, could I date this woman? You know, like it's yeah. just great, but. Mm -hmm. You're right, though. I think the thing that that show does better than any show that I feel like um, I've seen you cover is that it handles it as a, as a non-factor. It mm -hmm. is not a story arc. I mean, it can be a story arc, but it's not like the, it's not the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like the wrench in the episode, if you will. Mm -hmm. It's not like the thing that's like, do you know what I'm trying to say? It's not like clogging the pipe, if you will crisis of the week yeah yeah crisis that, of I mean, the week exactly even on the golden girls you see that you know and i think the golden girls like i think they handle it great but when mm -hmm. when dorothy's friend Jean shows up it's what do we do about this queer person in our midst yeah and when when blanche's brother shows up twice it's what do we do about this queer person um let's yeah talk about and then, golden girls yeah yes please uh, let's talk about yeah. blanche's brother what a fascinating character clayton yeah, yeah. Uh, played by Monty Markham. So interesting the way that they chose to cover that and the fact that the story developed, like he came back mm. and they added this extra layer to the story where it was like, I guess you could explain the narr the narrative of what their relationship was better than me. Yeah, they really did a great job of deepening him. Um, you know, we, we seldom see uh, recurring queer characters at that time. Uh, it happened a few times, you know, it happened on um, All in the Family, notably with Beverly LaSalle, who's this wonderful character. And they did something similar where every time she appears, she's her character is deepened a bit more. With um, Clayton on The Golden Girls, the situation is that um, Blanche has a brother who she does not realize is gay until he comes to comes for a visit, comes out to Rose, in part because um, Blanche is trying to set her brother up with women. And, you know, he, he senses, I guess, in Rose, somebody, a sympathetic ear comes out to her and um, she coaches him to come out to Blanche. And he does. She doesn't respond well at first, but she grows to accept him over the course of the episode. But the thing that she uh, still seems to have some um, growth to do, a subject that she still seems to have some growth to do on, is uh, him dating. 
uh, because he comes back a year or two later and he brings a partner and she is absolutely not prepared to accept that. She can accept him, but she can't accept that he's dating, uh, which you know really means that she can't accept him because dating is a part of his life and his partner is a part of his life. Um, so it's great that we have this opportunity to visit with the character when he comes for the first episode to see a family member learn to, you know, that, oh, this person has revealed something about themselves. This changes our relationship potentially. Um, but at the end of the day, he's still the same person and my feelings for him, you know, I have an obligation as a family member to, uh, support them. Uh, so we see that whole process in episode one, and then a year or two later, we see a, a much more complicated process when he says that he plans to marry the man he loves. And Blanche doesn't understand until Sophia takes her aside and says, well, why did you marry? She says to Blanche, why did you marry George? And uh, Blanche's response is, we loved each other. We wanted to make a commitment in front of the whole world. And uh, suddenly the the you know the light goes on that, oh, that's what everybody wants. Um, and you know I, I think we could debate the... Um, whether everybody wants to get married, because that isn't always a, a, the solution for everybody. You know, that isn't necessarily sure. the end point to a relationship. But uh, I think we can recognize the importance of um, uh, honoring someone's decision to marry, you know, whether whether it's a man or a woman. Uh, and, and that's what Blanche gets to at the end of the episode. She, we really see everybody make some growth. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that they chose to sort of take it in this direction of you don't realize what you have in common. First of all, when you're that close to someone who feels like they can't fully be themselves, you are getting like a watered down version of their personality, of their identity, things mm -hmm. that you could have in common, you don't know. And I liked that they approached it from the perspective of now that he's out, she's realizing all along we've had, we're so much more similar than we even thought we were. Like, of course we're siblings, you know? We both... Mm -hmm love men <laughs> like we're both very sexual creatures and we both love men mm -hmm. and um I love that and I don't know I just always thought Golden Girls for being the show that it was and when it was on TV I mean mm -hmm. it's even more wild it's an 80s show and the way that they chose to cover gay characters was always so heartfelt and maybe not always politically correct but the you could feel that there was like a there was a sympathy there for the gay community. You know, I think a lot of the credit, there's there's a lot of credit to spread around for that. Um, part of it goes to Jeff Dutille, who wrote the episode uh, with um, Dorothy's friend Gene coming for a visit. He actually wrote that on spec. He, he wasn't a staffer on the show, wow. but he knew Winifred Hervey, who was one of the producers. I also think a lot of credit goes to Winifred Hervey, who was, um, you know, one of the more unspoken um, or, or not unspoken, but she's not always credited with the success of the show. Um because she's not, you know, a marquee name, but uh, she was there, I think, for the entire run of it, uh, or at least most of it. Um, she brought Jeff Dutille. She bought his script when when he submitted it. Uh, and she was also, I think it's important to note that she was black. And um, I think that there's a real respect for minority voices and for disenfranchised yeah. people on the show that you might not have seen um, from other shows that were led by uh, you know, that 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 would have had showrunner, a showrunning team uh, that was not as diverse as the Golden Girls. God, and I, listen, I know that it, 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 it's debatable why gay people and why queer people feel such an intense connection to that show. And I think that it could be a whole number of things. Like, I remember, for me, being a young person, that was a show that really connected me to, like, my older female relatives. Mm. It was, like, this this streamline. Like, 
I want to lay in bed and watch Golden Girls at 11 o'clock just as much as you, if not more. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sing the song and reach the same octave you're going to reach. Like, we're both enjoying this experience intensely, you know, and I'm not watching it just because you want to, and you're not watching it to like, just because I want to. I really genuinely love this show, you know, and I don't know. And I also, I agree with the minority thing. There are so many ep- interesting episodes that, on that show that deal with race. Mm-hmm. It's just such a like profoundly forward thinking show about a bunch of older women living in Florida. It's wild. Isn't that amazing that it's such it seems like it should be such a um, exclusionary uh, show that like, yeah. oh, this is a very specific point of view that we're telling the show from. But I think the universality of of a lot of the issues that they deal with helps also that the jokes are incredibly funny. It's uh, just for a so lot of that, sharp. You know, <laughs> I think Susan Harris gets a lot of credit for that, for creating such a powerful show. Uh, she had come from Soap and a few other programs prior that were also just brilliant. Um, and then, of course, the the talent. Um, everybody, it's one of those shows that's just absolutely cast completely perfectly. Yeah. Um, and all of those women had uh, connections to the to queer community and to queer uh, actors and talent. Um, so, you know, of course, they were unafraid to tackle those sorts of issues. As they had prior to their, I think they all, had been yeah they all had been in in episodes or, or projects that had tackled queer issues B Arthur on Maud which had, had multiple queer characters uh obviously um Estelle Getty had been in Torch Song trilogy on Broadway which was huge um uh Blanche uh, Rue McClanahan had done uh, some of my best friends are which was a movie set in a gay bar uh and uh Betty White of course had done um Love Sydney which was uh, short lived i think it ran for two seasons uh show on NBC uh, that was about a, a gay man, although he was very, um, I mean, it really gives you a, a sense of where television was at the time. You could watch that entire series and not know that he was gay because they kept it so under wraps, you know, mm. it was just an unspoken. Oh, it's just, yeah. just a single man, just a single man trying to make it. Yeah, <laughs> <city. laughs> I wonder why he doesn't uh, have a girlfriend. I don't know. But, <laughs> right. uh, anyway, it's a lot more explicit than the TV movie that it was based on. Well, let's talk for a second about, I would love to hear your uh your relationship to Will and Grace. Mm. Yeah, that's um it's an interesting one because when it was initially on, it sort of passed me by because I just started college, was not watching a lot of television at the time, but I knew that it was in the air. It was just something in the zeitgeist and that, you know, times being what they were, broadcast television was a lot more important to people's lives, even if you didn't watch. Mm-hmm. So I was certainly aware that um, television was getting a lot gayer. This was after the Ellen uh, incident after the puppy episode where she came out yeah uh, which i did you know i watched that along with you know i think it was 40 million other people uh just huge huge viewership on that um watch television get a little gayer for a little bit and then ellen went away um and so television felt a little less welcoming at the time uh and then just knowing that the show was on which i watched sporadically initially but something about knowing that it was there really made it feel like okay we're we're not perhaps as forbidden and taboo as the almost immediate cancellation of Ellen uh, might have you believe. Uh, maybe yeah. there is a, a place for you outside of, you know, gay film festivals that you have to know a guy to know a guy to know when they're happening. Yeah, Will and Grace is an interesting one because I remember as a really young person, that was like, there are certain things I look back on and they're kind of like, they're like, it, it was like my mom's tongue-in-cheek way of being like, babe, I know that you're gay, and it's like, fine. Mm-hmm. Like, we're watching Will and Grace together every Thursday night. You are cackling. 
Like, you know, my mom is sitting there watching me literally on my knees, belly laughing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? At Will and Grace and like seeing myself in this show. And <laughs> I'm like not putting it together that she like knows I'm gay, you know, whatever. Uh, that's a whole nother conversation. But um, yeah, Will and Grace was an interesting one because I just remember I had never really felt so seen by a television mm-hmm. show. I almost felt too seen. I was yeah. like, this is a little close to home. Like, this is wild. You know, it was so gay. And at that point, I don't remember ever having seen anything so gay. You know, mm-hmm. it almost felt like taboo to sit mm-hmm. with a room full of people, especially family members, and watch Will and Grace, you know? And to hear people's response to the show was also really interesting to me as like a young person like seeing people be either repulsed by it or love it I just always thought was really fascinating and like imprinted on me well this is it, this is why I think this stuff is so important sometimes people can be like oh it's just a sitcom who cares mm-hmm. but um you know I think that's really overlooking the importance of having something that's beaming into millions of homes it's giving people an opportunity to talk about something they might not otherwise have talked about mm-hmm. and with sitcoms in particular those tend to be the programs that are syndicated and we see them again and again and again. Um, and so there's a real staying power to those shows that, you know, for example, I, Dynasty or Stars, Starskin Hutch is maybe a bad example because that one was syndicated. We did see it a lot. But, um, you know, other programs that you might not have seen quite so much, um, sitcoms are always there and they're always there. Like every once they enter that syndication period every day at 530, you know, you're going to see this with Will and Grace there's going to be something gay every day for you to watch. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with um, being seen in a way that um, previously you might've had to have waited for that one episode of cheers, for example. Uh, yeah. But now here we go. We've got, you can count on it. Um, you know, you can set, you can set your watch by how gay uh, Will and Grace is going to be. <laughs> right. And also the fact that Will and Grace chose very specifically to explore a best friendship a mm-hmm. best friend between a gay man and a woman. You know, something that we've seen in movies and television throughout the years, of course, but like the nuance of that relationship is so special and so complicated and so like, you know, it's like, it's magical. Like every, you know, we all know that there's something really special that happens between, you know, a gay man who feels a real intense emotional connection to a woman and vice mm-hmm. versa and just how kind of layered that can be and how intimate and like romantic at times, but also not, you know, and Will and Grace really, really opened up that whole Pandora's box, I think. Isn't it interesting that that really is one of the first times we see it on television. And this seems so strange to say now, but it was really a revelation. It was a discovery that, oh, gay men and women are are friends. (laughs) Gay men and straight women are friends. Because we'd seen it a little bit in movies, My Best Friend's Wedding, An Object of My mm-hmm. Affection. Um, but on television, it was sort of a new discovery that that was a phenomenon. Um, it, 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 in fact, there's a um, Entertainment Weekly has a whole, like, I think it was a cover story about it as Will and Grace is about to debut. Like, oh, hey, look at this. This is happening in a whole bunch of movies. Uh, and as that was happening, and what's the one? There's another one with Jack Nicholson and Greg Kinnear that I've forgotten. Um the, ah, it's not the opposite of sex shoot anyway there's a movie around the same time with the same dynamic 
Anyway, Entertainment Weekly is like, hey, look at this. This is happening in movies. And the timing could not have been better for um, the Will and Grace team because they're looking at the, the box office returns for these films. And literally, they, as they were developing Will and Grace, uh, they were sending the box office receipts to executives at NBC to prove wow. like, see, well, this is validating. We're, we're doing wow. this. And we're going to be one of the first shows that does it. Because I, I, you know, I'm honestly having trouble thinking of like, it's such a cliche now, but the gay best friend trope on television prior to that, I, nothing is immediately coming to mind for me. I can't use, I really can't think of anything. And I think that made it, you know, had this been a show about Will, like living with his boyfriend or his partner or his husband or whatever, it would have been a whole different thing. I think the fact that it was a relationship about two best friends Mm-hmm. you know it made it so that other people i don't know i guess it made it so that people in like middle america weren't so put off by it that was absolutely the intent there's actually a, a great um academy of, of television uh interview with uh james burroughs the director of i think every single episode uh where he talks about when they were developing season one something they did very intentionally in order to not alienate the middle part of the country, especially after that Ellen incident, <laughs> I mm-hmm. keep calling it the incident, the experience with I mean, Ellen where people were like- What better word for it? Yeah, yeah, that, that uh-oh, people don't want gay. People are scared of gay. <laughs> Something that they did was um, in the pilot episode of Will and Grace, Will and Grace kiss, um, you know, they, they, in the pilot episode, she's been, um, she, she leaves this guy, she's gonna marry the altar, realizing she, that he's not right for her. And so at the end of the episode, they share a kiss. Uh, at the end of the season, same thing. They they bookend the season, season one with a kiss. They they kiss again under under an altar, and um, that was intentional to um, suggest to audiences who might be on the fence um, that Will and Grace might get together. They might wow. realize that they actually are lovers, and he might oh not be God. gay after after all. Um, obviously, they didn't go that way. They had no intention of going that way. Um, but they wanted people to think that that might be possible. Uh, As a way to get people to watch and trick them. Yeah, that's amazing. Exactly. And that's what the marketing, if you look at the ads that ran for Will and Grace in the 90s, um, it was very much a, they really seem to be wink, wink, nudge, nudging it. Like, oh, he's, I don't think they even say in some of the ads that he's gay. Just they're a couple of friends. And it wow. seems like they're they're doing a friends trick because friends was already on the air, of course, at that point. And yeah. It seems like they're doing a Ross and Rachel where it's like, Gosh, why won't they realize? And the nanny, why won't they realize that they love each other? Um, <gasps> he can, you know? she can fix him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's and that's you know that's a dynamic that worked on Cheers, for example, which Jim Burroughs also directed a whole bunch of episodes of. Um, and and you can see like Will and Grace share a lot, I think, with Sam and Diane. Um, in, in that there is a obstacle between them that presents prevents them from getting together as a couple. Now the obstacle right. is much greater on Will and Grace. Yes. Um, but also these are also characters that are vulnerable in really interesting ways. Um, Jim Burroughs actually talks about this as well uh, with Ted Danson, uh, with the um, Sam character, one of the ways in which he's vulnerable is his alcoholism. And with the Will character, one of the ways that he's vulnerable is that he's gay at a time that it is difficult for a person to be gay. Um, these are obviously very different. He, he certainly, he's not saying that the two are comparable, Right. but um, they are, fulfill similar roles in fleshing out that and deepening that character in that this person has, um, you know, something that is going to present challenges to them. Uh, it, it, you know, and I just think that's, a, it, it's really interesting to hear um, the thoughtfulness with which Will and Grace was constructed. 
Well, you can also, I mean, the Will and Grace conversation is layered because then you can also kind of delve into the fact that at the time, you know, Will was sort of put on this, like, this pedestal of like, mm-hmm. oh, he's like the unattainable gay man. Like, he's the gay man that all gay men wish they could be. Like, you know, he's sort of straight presenting. He's handsome. You know, he's like just gay enough in quotes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and Jack, on the other hand, is just sort of like a juggling fool. Like, he is... Mm-hmm. You know, even though he was such a, a an amazingly written character, so funny, played so well, you know, and all of those things at the time, it was like, you no, know, Jack is like, Jack is the joke. He's the gay man that you don't necessarily want to be, you know, he's like great for a party. He's a fun party trick, but you don't want to be Jack. You want to be Will. And it's funny the way that things have kind of turned now where like people look, I mean, people who rediscover that show or, or are rewatching the reboot or whatever, they love, they love Jack and Will is like this sort of representation of like toxicity in a sense, in a little, in a lot of ways, the way that he sort of like berates Jack for being so flamboyantly gay. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a funny thing too. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's something that ages really interestingly, especially when you watch the series uh, from, you know, over many years. Um, in particular, in the beginning, Will is has a lot of internalized homophobia to deal with. Uh, mm-hmm. And Jack takes him to task for it in season one. And um, uh, uh, Will comes, it's not Will comes out. It's something like that, out at the gym or something like that. Anyway, um, yeah, Will uses the F slur at one point. Um, and it's, it's quite shocking. Um, yeah. But it's also funny for me to hear you say that, um, Jack is not the character that people want to be. I, looking back, I certainly wanted to be thought of as as funny and as entertaining and as outspoken, un, uninhibited as Jack. Yes. Uh, so there, free. there certainly was. Yeah, free. Exactly. Yeah. There, there. I think there are a lot of aspects of Jack that um, I envied. Yeah. Uh, when it was when it was initially when I caught it, you know, in its initial run. Um, and yeah, I, I remember there being a lot of um, dissatisfaction from gay viewers saying like, oh, these are stereotypes. They're not realistic. There are no gay people are actually like this. And I remember when I was in college, I had a professor who he said something along the lines of, I can't believe how many gay people are lying about not knowing someone like Will and Jack. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's because so we do we do know those types. Of course. It was not a diverse show. Like there, right. are, there are a lot of white people on that show. Oh yeah. Uh, same thing with a lot of sitcoms of the time. Um, and there are certainly a lot of different gay experiences and queer experiences that were not represented. But I also think that it opened a door to, um, you know, Ugly Betty and Glee yes. and shows that had a little bit more um, diversity of queer experiences. Um, yeah. Know, it, it provided an opportunity for us to get used to Will and Grace and now, okay, yeah. well, how about this other kind of gay? There, there, you know, there, there are other flavors out there. They don't all live in New York. Right. And I, I, I love what you said because honestly, it's like, me as a kid watching that and being like, if I had the fucking balls to bring a share doll to a fucking restaurant, I would do it, but I don't. Like, I wish, you know, mm-hmm. I wish, oh my God. Like, I just thought he was so like funny and cool. And like you said, just kind of free. Um, He was like my manic pixie dream girl, you know? Like mm. <laughs> for me, it was Jack. Um. I think one of the other strengths with that character is, you know, for all the like, oh, well, he's, you know, he's making us look bad. Um, there are also moments when Jack is 
told explicitly, not just by Will, but by other characters too, to rein it in. And he react, he takes offense. He refuses to go along with it. Uh, and the people who are telling him to rein yeah. it in, they're clearly the bad guys. And yeah. I, think, I think that's incredibly powerful. Well, speaking of that, um, I know that we kind of touched on it for a second, but I do want to talk about Ellen for a second. Mm -hmm. We have to talk about Ellen and the gay trauma, the gay trauma Mm -hmm. of the Ellen Ellen show and her coming out. Um, What was that experience for you, like when that happened? Wow, what an experience. Like it was a national event. Like there was not a single person who was not talking about this. Um, Mm -hmm. And it rolled out very slowly, much slower than they wanted it to happen behind the scenes actually. my experience was there were these rumors, there were rumblings, you'd see gossip. Ellen eventually came out, you know, her, herself in real life. And then the episode happened. And um, I remember, th- I have a couple memories of it. One is that there were house parties happening all over the country. And you could mm. send away to Glad for them to send you like an Ellen house party kit. They, that they would send you wow. like decorations wow. and trivia games and stuff to to do. Um, I also remember that there were a lot of talk about um, television stations that weren't going to run the episode. I think it wound up happening that only a handful, maybe only even one, but very few refused to air the episode. Um, But there was also, you know, a lot of backlash. There were protests. I remember seeing on the news people marching outside ABC headquarters with signs Mm. that were mad that there was a lesbian on television. And, you know, what a... What a thing to internalize that there's something about you that is so taboo, it shouldn't even be acknowledged as existing. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, there was that was very powerful. Uh, and then the cancellation was an incredible bummer, but also it was something that I think a lot of people saw coming. Um, I watched for a few episodes after she came out. Uh, in the this, so she comes out. There's one or two episodes left in the season. Then in the next season. I really didn't watch a whole lot because it kind of lost my interest. It was at the end of the day, not as funny as it was. And still, you know, I, I had honestly really liked the show prior, like in the seasons prior to that, there's an episode with, um, with Carrie Fisher that is quite beautiful. It's like a lovely episode. Um, but the jokes didn't really land for me after that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think there was sort of a sabotage that happened, um, with the show, not knowing what it was going to be um, after her coming out. Uh, I think there was a sabotage with ABC uh, putting a warning on the show. And it seemed like ABC was actively pushing people away and not marketing the show. Uh, and I think that, it, you know, that the, the gags not landing was, you know, what, what did it in for me? Um, and, yeah. you know, it's, it's a bummer. But I also think, you know, by all accounts, Ellen was not the easiest person to work with. And so I think that there were a lot of people behind the scenes who were prepared for an opportunity to cut ties with her. Well, you know, the interesting thing about her coming out specifically, and I guess the timing, like the time period, that very extremely specific sort of sliver Mm -hmm. of time um, where people were, you know, Ellen was this phenomenon, right? She was this pop culture phenomenon. That show was, a, the success of that show was like truly lightning in a bottle, you know? And it was that time mm-hmm. when like comics getting a sitcom was a huge deal. That was the big money-making thing. You know, you had the Cosby show and you had Roseanne, which I do mm-hmm. want to talk about before we end this episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
there's a there's a Roseanne yeah. conversation to be had. Uh, yeah, yeah, talk about fraud. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it was just such as a specific time period, and it was like people were in a place of being okay with knowing you might be gay, mm-hmm. but they weren't okay with you saying it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's very like, as long as they don't rub my face in it kind of time. Right. And, and it's like, well, what constitutes rubbing your face in it? Like going on a date right. with somebody, <laughs> like saying that you're gay, wearing a pink tie. Like there's an yeah. incredible double standard of, you know, it, I I actually, you know, I, I was watching the show, um, you know, the show Ghosts on CBS. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a relatively recent one based on a um, British show. Mm-hmm. So I was watching the show Ghosts, which a lot of people that I know and whose taste I like, they were recommending and i found myself thinking like this show is really rubbing my face in how heterosexual the main couple is and i was like huh i wonder if this is what it feels like when straight people watch gay stuff because they're not like doing that but like, you know they're just calling themselves <laughs> calling each other babe and like they're married and i'm like i'm so marinated now in in gay media that when i just yes. see a straight couple i'm like oh they have to flaunt it yeah it's like <laughs> we get it you're yeah. straight yeah <laughs> i think part of that you know part of that is because like straight couples are all over the media and I, I, I kind of feel like oh you've got a straight couple I've seen that before I, I, you know <laughs> what else is new I, you know, what else I'm is there to say yeah <laughs> yes absolutely I totally get it and I mean it's funny because Ellen was like walking the same path as Rosie who people talked about Rosie being gay like that Rosie was Rosie O'Donnell, yeah. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like it was never a conversation. Like it was a conversation. It mm-hmm. it's just that because Rosie wasn't saying it, it was fine for her to be on TV as long as she yeah. did say the words. And Ellen had the exact same sort of relationship with people where it was like nobody thought Ellen was dating men, mm-hmm. but they didn't want to talk about it and they didn't want to hear about it and they didn't want to see it. They just wanted her to be funny in the way that felt safe to them and nothing outside of that and that's just so it's so interesting that people were like well no i'm not homophobic i just don't want to i don't want to see it like that's the exact sort of time period there is a marvelous clip of ellen appearing on uh rosie's show right before the coming out right before she right before ellen publicly came out Mm -hmm. um so they were still keeping everything under wraps and Ellen had this like stock line that she was going to at the time where, and she uses this joke on every appearance where she says, oh no, it's all misunderstanding. The character discovers she's Lebanese. Yeah. She likes, she likes Baba Ganoush and she likes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Casey Kasem or something like that. Um, and she's Lebanese and um, Rosie, she, so she rolls this joke out that she's told a million times uh, in front of Rosie. And you can see Rosie like light up and she's like, Oh, you know what? I like Baba Ganoush too. Maybe <laughs> yeah. I'm Lebanese. Maybe I'm Lebanese. And, and yeah, like Ellen kind of cracks up at that because obviously they're both clocking each other. They know. Yeah. And so they're like, oh, well, we can't talk about this, but we're laughing about it. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, it's this silly coding that had to happen yeah. that was absurd by that point. But it goes all the way back to, you know, um, the thing that makes me think of is, is the radio days of um, there was a show in, in, the, in the UK called Round the Horn. Um, that was a radio show hosted by Kenneth Horn. And he had these two performers on Kenneth Williams and I forget the other characters, the other actor's name, but Kenneth Williams, a very obviously ostentatiously homosexual performer. Right. Uh, and they would do this thing. They would never talk about being gay. Uh, they would never say anything explicit, but they would use the slang and they would be very, um, you know, 
it, it was hard to miss. Uh, they would speak, you know, Polari, are you familiar with Polari? Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, yeah, I was going to say, like, the, reminds me of the Morrissey song. Yeah, yeah, very, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's this one moment where they're playing, um, they're playing shopkeepers, bookshop keepers, and um, Kenneth Horn's character comes in, he's very straight-laced, and he's, he's very much the, um, he doesn't tell the jokes, he, he's the butt of the jokes, and they're running circles around him. Um, and he's asking for um, Shakespeare, and they're listing off the names of um, Shakespeare plays, but twisting the names with Polari, so it's two, you know, two Omi of, of, of Paloma or something like that. Uh, or, or Verona, Verona, that's what I said, Paloma, two Omi of, of Verona. <laughs> uh, and then one of them mentions the, um, um, a play called, um, what does he say? As, as they like it. And um, Kenneth Horn says, isn't it as you like it? Uh, and Kenneth uh, Williams says, um, well, not me personally, but live and let live, I say. And, <laughs> You know, it's this little, it's this little moment. Yeah. If you know what they're talking about, you yes. know what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, but they, they, but they can't say it, and it's wild to me. Like that's from the 1950s, I think, maybe 60s, that we're still playing that game. We're still doing that little tap dance uh, in 1997 yeah. with Rosie and, and Ellen. Well, because I think in the 90s, it was almost like appreciated. It was almost like how how clever can you do this? Like mm. people appreciated your clever take on not rubbing gayness in their face but also hinting at it and if you could do it right. really well the way rosie sort of did in this really you know like palpable middle america kooshbally kind of way mm -hmm. you know people really respected that which is such a weird thing um <laughs> you but you know, know i think they they made oh, some of that to, to such great effect on um Arrested Development with Tobias, you know, mm, writing mm -hmm. a book called The Man Inside Me and he's going <laughs> yeah, to the yeah. Gothic Castle, but someone was here is the Gothic Castle. You know, <laughs> yes. so many great jokes. Uh, and, you know, it really is making fun of that character who can't say it, who doesn't realize what they're saying. You know, it's 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 all in, it's all in code. Yeah. Um, but at this point, it's it's just absurd that we have to do this little dance. Yeah, and to be honest with you, as as queer people who lived through that experience we'll probably never know like the mm. level of trauma that that had like for me when i of course i think of the episode i think of the clip playing over and over i think it's like i can literally see it in my mind because i've seen the clip so many times just from it playing on the news of her like leaning over in the air in the microphone and she's at the airport and, you know it, it goes in the loudspeaker and um, and of course the Time Magazine cover, I think of all that stuff, but I really think of her Oprah appearance. Mm. To me, her entire, that entire, her whole coming out experience can be summed up by going on the Oprah show. Cause I was a huge Oprah fan and I, I came from an Oprah family. We watched Oprah every single day mm -hmm. and to see the way the audience turned on her was so, it was just so violent and so intense and like, it was really scary. I think for me as like a, a kid kid, it was like at that point, the most sort of violent gay thing I had ever seen. Just her sitting on that in the, in front of the audience and having people scream stuff at her and like screaming like slurs at her and asking her like the most insanely inappropriate questions. And, you know, Oprah talking about how they had a, like they had bomb threats that day and, you know, they were getting sniper threats and, you know, Ellen had to be snuck into the studio this special way because they were convinced people were going to kill her. And mm -hmm. I mean, 
it's just crazy like that was so that lives in me like I'm mm. I'm like having a that's so raven moment now you know what I mean like that lives in like deep in my spirit yeah yeah it really felt like um you know, it's like the I forget the name of the author, but the the guy who sh- like had to come back on Oprah and defend himself from the um, making up stories in his book. You know, it was really mm. like an explain yourself, like call to the principal's yes. office kind of yes. experience. Yeah, and, and and especially like what's wild about that is how supportive Oprah was. Like she was mm-hmm. really like she was totally on Ellen's in Ellen's side. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, the, the audiences were just like. You know, if it's your first opportunity to interrogate a queer person, um, I agree that it was not done perhaps as delicately or considerately as it could have been. Yeah, she's like, here's a microphone audience. What do you want to say to this woman who just came out on Time Magazine? It's like, mm-hmm. what do you think they're gonna, they want to say? And then they also had people yeah. calling in. It's like, what do you mm-hmm. think, you know, but I guess that was also like the t- that time period for talk shows to like have just wild mo- lightning in a bottle mm-hmm. moments like mm-hmm. that happen on stage. You know, I think yeah. Ellen does get a lot of heat for her interactions with other people and the way that she comports herself as a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that a lot of the objections um, are extremely legitimate. Um, also, I think it is possible to acknowledge, like you said, the trauma, um, uh, you know, going through an extremely difficult uh, experience. I can't even I cannot begin to imagine processing yeah, a coming out on that level, especially after one of Ellen's, you know, early experiences was um, her girlfriend. I think this was in the late seventies, um, died in a car crash, and it was a really difficult experience for Ellen. Um, it was actually something that she turned into stand-up to process. Uh, it's her. If you've ever seen like early appearances of Ellen, she has this bit where she does like a phone call with God, and that started as her trying to process the death of her girlfriend, um, and, and you know that you know, a, a piece of her life as a lesbian was so um, traumatic and upsetting for her so early in her life. I think that it also informs how, uh, you know, the, 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 the barriers that she put up, um, at, you know, for better, or for worse, uh, between her and other people in her life. Wasn't that the, the bit that got Johnny Carson to like call her over to the chair? Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Like, and like, I can't even imagine how, conflicted she must have felt like that that you know it was something that yeah. was real and raw and very painful for her and it also made her career what yeah a, that's so interesting yeah i, I you know I, I don't think it's an accident that oprah plays her therapist and that part of the the gag in that puppy episode is that she's going through one therapist after another um i i'm sure that that was ellen's real life experience as well oh god okay well we're here can we have mm-hmm. a nuanced conversation about roseanne yeah, let's talk about uh, problematic tar- characters on television. Um, she, uh, like you said, there was part of this um, wave of giving comedians TV shows that sometimes worked, sometimes didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, she certainly was not as um, she 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 was always she was always a, a, a trouble. I think <laughs> not, and sometimes trouble in a good way, sometimes trouble in a bad way. But you know, even going back then, um, thinking about you know her her. Um, national anthem incident uh where yeah. she she really has a knack for making enemies <laughs> and sometimes i think she used that for for good uh and sometimes i think she used it for things that were not I, sometimes i think she used it for good sometimes i think she used it for things that are the goodness is in the eye of the beholder and sometimes mm-hmm. i think increasingly now she has used it for things that are objectively uh pretty negative um that yes. having been said 
you know, the Roseanne show, the show Roseanne is not the person Roseanne. A lot of people worked on that show that were not her. And um, it is also a artifact of its time that is extremely important. So, you know, it's, it's hard to talk about Roseanne the person versus Roseanne the show and keep them separate. But I also think it is important to do because, you know, there, there was a lot of good that came out of that show. Um, and a lot of good that came out of her, particularly as a person, um, while also acknowledging a lot of bad. That's an amazing way to put it. I think that's like, Roseanne is not the show. That's like, you could just sum all of it up with that, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I've done um, a Roseanne episode of this podcast years ago. It was actually like maybe a month or so prior to the incident, like Roseanne's mm-hmm. ambient incident. Yeah. Um, I think the I, big one. I, the big one. It was like, I'd done the episode to, to kind of commemorate like, how much that show meant to me in the 80s and like the 80s version of it or whatever mm-hmm. and I talked about how you know Roseanne was a really tough one for me because growing up Roseanne really like came to represent this like safe space if anything like mm. I really saw my I didn't see my family in Roseanne but I saw people that I recognized in the Roseanne show and mm-hmm. I still to this day think that you know up to the point that things get weird on Roseanne like the night like the mid 90s like the yeah, lottery and all the things <laughs> yeah. you know <laughs> where things yeah, get where a little a little mm-hmm. sharp jumpy if you will um yeah. i think that, <laughs> right it's like it's wild uh-huh. the the 80s version of roseanne i think is still hands down to this day one of the best depictions of an american family on television that i've ever seen I don't know if I've ever seen something so realistic or well-written mm-hmm. and Roseanne then it's so wild like what she represented for people during that time you know being this show that was like forward thinking and showed an authentic family a middle-class family a woman who was like you know considered overweight and a, a married to a man that was considered overweight and they had an active sex life and they were poor and you know like they it it was so relatable and she had gay friends and they Mm -hmm. weren't the joke they were just gay people and you know the first was it the first gay wedding on television it wasn't the first but it was it was pretty early um rock came earlier and i believe friends had theirs i can't remember friends had theirs like it was the same month um Mm. and i can't remember which one was first but uh yeah that so anyway they they were they were on the forefront. It was it was real early. Uh, Leon and uh, oh shoot, I can't remember the other character's name. Leon and his and his partner. Yes, Leon. Um, and those things all meant so much to me, like throughout my whole life. And then, you know, Roseanne got older, <laughs> mm-hmm. and now she's this really staunchy, sort of wacky old old woman. And I guess Roseanne's always been a wacky old woman in a lot of ways, but now she really has just gone off the deep end. And, you know, it's just sad. It's like she is the complete opposite of everything that, like, I wonder if 80s Roseanne had a conversation with Roseanne now and she'd be like, who Mm. are you? Two Mm. completely different women. Yeah. Yeah. It's true what you say about um, representing um, a group of people that you did not often see on television, um, Mm -hmm. that they were economically marginalized but also had a lot of dignity um mm-hmm. you know at a time when 
you know, shows sitcom families tended to be very nuclear and wealthy in ways that were just like bananas. Like, oh yeah, of yeah. course we've got to live in Butler. <laughs> right. Yeah. So many shows, so many shows from that time have a housekeeper who lives with them. And it's like, what planet is this on? <laughs> know, like, so give true. me a break, or uh, Mr. Melody, of course, or even you know, like Charles in charge. Like, what? What are you kidding me? Uh, yeah. And here's like people who are living like, and I think it's particularly noteworthy. And I think this is something that is often overlooked when you look at Roseanne, that a lot, especially in that first season, is about labor and, and union organizing, which yeah. is like, that's amazing to have that, like to be, have the, the union organizing be the, the hero turn, the, the arc of the season. What? Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, like you say, like, you know, they've got... um she's got gay friends it's not a big deal to her they have a gay wedding on the show it's not it's somewhat of a big deal um and then of course the gay kiss that uh Roseanne has a kiss with Muriel Hemingway um that too a very big deal to the point where they didn't know it was going to air until it aired um you know the, the network was pretty up in arms about that after 30 something a year or two earlier just showed two men in bed not touching not, you know, just sitting next to each other and they lost um, a ton of money. I, I want to say it was like $10 million. I might be wrong about that. They lost a ton of money from advertisers, you know, pulling out. Um, and it was the first kiss, right? It or was, no? I think it might have been, I'm hesitant to say the first, but I think it might've been, yeah. No, I, LA law might've been earlier. Okay. But again, it was really like, it was right there as, you know, one of the very earliest yeah you had la law you had a few others yeah yeah all around the same time that's when networks discovered um oh the the lesbian kiss episode for sweeps week this is uh this is a real money maker yeah for a while deep space nine you'd see and it was always a lesbian kiss it was never men of course of course well men were like well we can handle that i guess we can handle that The lesbian kiss and then um never again it was never like the lesbian you know the couple that 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 hooks up and stays together it was like we're experimenting or you're here for a week and then you're gone forever yes. I think one of the first examples of that is um it, it's just this incredible i forget the name of it there was a soap opera in the 80s where a woman comes out as lesbian gets upset runs out of the room into traffic and is hit by a truck and killed oh my <laughs> so, god like, explicitly the kill your lesbians trope like it's so by the numbers but it was one of the first cases of that it really Holy set the template shit. for what would come yeah so often with wild. lesbians and gay characters, and you know, but lesbians in particular, uh, you'd see a lot of uh, there are a lot of dead lesbians on television for a couple of decades there. Well, so not to skim over the Roseanne of it all, because I did just oh, want to yeah, touch yeah, yeah. on it, and and I did mm-hmm. want to just like say, you know, that it it more so just makes me really sad. Mm-hmm. Like it it really feels like a loss. I remember when that all happened, and even when Roseanne was like, you know, she was like very pro Trump in her like on her twitter and stuff and she was like posting those like wild nazi memes and stuff and i always felt like at a certain point we had lost roseanne it felt mm-hmm. like she had kind of given into her own mania at a certain point and just yeah really became the sort of reclusive like wacky lady that i guess she was always destined to become um mm-hmm. but i was blown away that the network had decided to put her back on tv and it felt like it was this thing of like, don't be too Roseanne. It's like, this is not the same woman. And this show now represents something completely different than yeah. it did, you know, 30 years ago or whatever. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to talk about the Roseanne because I haven't really mentioned her since I 
talked about her the last time. Mm. Um, I think you're right. Like that nostalgia is very beguiling. Um, and mm. there is often a belief that we'll just get the same people back and put them in the same set and yeah. uh, it'll be just like it was only with, with better cameras and people change and times change. And yeah, that, um, Roseanne, it was a, uh, Roseanne of the eighties and into the nineties was a moment that can't be recaptured because exactly like you said, she's a different person and the issues that they're tackling are different. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think it's the the best way to remember that stuff is to watch the reruns and enjoy them and be happy for what we had, even even after she jumps that shark and just keeps on going up into the stratosphere. <laughs> yes. uh, Their biggest mistake was not just naming the show Jackie. I mean, honestly, the mm-hmm. reboot should have been named Jackie, and it should have been about Jackie because that's what we all secretly wanted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Man, we all yeah, want there's... the Jackie show. Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, she's great. You know. She, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, if we if you get those things back, it's never going to be what it was. And even what you remember, what you like about what it was isn't really what it was at the time. And, you know, you and by you, I mean, the general you, we as people generally, we are different people than we were in the 80s. And so the way we see those things now is going to be very different. So anyway, um, I think the the way to it it is really a bummer that um, she has what she means to people now is very different and i think you know what we can do is appreciate the good stuff that was left behind um by that series when it was on um and uh you know acknowledge the problems with what with what we have today uh but that doesn't diminish how wonderful that stuff from from then is yeah well, Matt, I want to end our conversation today by talking about a show that I think handles queerness just so fucking poorly. Just mm. the complete opposite end of the spectrum is Friends. Yep. <laughs> Friends is, I would say, in modern times, one of the, and, and a show that remains so popular, you know, mm-hmm. it remains one of the most watched shows in syndication is always streaming you constantly hear new generations of people discovering friends they're excited to rewatch it and tell people i personally can't figure out why i do not find friends to be a timeless show and i do not find the writing to be timeless but that's just me um much more of a living single girl myself that's all i'm saying um but let's talk about the queerness covered on friends yeah, I mean, first I want to say I agree. Living single, I think, is a superior show, uh, <laughs> yeah. in, in down to how they handle queer stuff. But mm-hmm. Friends, um, that is one that you know, it's it's an interesting one to talk about because one of the creators is gay, and so yeah. and gayness has just been baked into the show from the beginning, in part because of Ross's ex-wife, and also because of Chandler, who was gonna be gay up until mm-hmm. a point, and then they cast um, Matt Perry, and you know, was it Matthew Perry, yeah, Matthew Perry when they cast him, they went in a different direction. Um, But there's always sort of a simmering undercurrent of gay. And it's often, you know, that outsider perspective, which is so strange because um, I've forgotten his name, but one of the the gay creator, you know, it, it, it shouldn't feel like um, the straights looking, looking from behind the glass at the gays in their enclosure. And yet that is often how it comes out. It feels like it's the complete opposite of what we talked about with the nanny where, Very the much. jokes do not feel inside. They don't feel, mm-hmm. you know, the, in this particular case, the call is not coming from inside the house. It's coming from next mm-hmm. door. And yeah. the connection is fuzzy at best. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's a really, really, really sort of, and, and it it also does the thing of like, 
I can't imagine, I can't even count how many times I remember on that show hearing somebody say like, yeah, gay are you? What are you, gay? You know, oh, there's so they- many, there's so many. And it's always a bad thing. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Uh, you know, you look at, um, in particular in the first season, um, they really, they had to address how gay Chandler seems yeah. because the character was initially conceived of as gay until he wasn't. Um, and so that became such a thing. There's one episode and I forgot the name of it. Oh, the one where Nana dies twice. That's the episode. Um, because the the A plot is their grandmother dying. The B plot is Chandler. Somebody thinks somebody assumes that he's gay. Um, and so they have to go through this whole process of, of debunking that. It's it's just wild. And it's always like, and he takes offense. It's always, why do you think that about me? And I, you, you, you mustn't. Uh, please yes. don't. And yeah, they yes, don't totally. have they don't do what Seinfeld does a few years later. Um, the the Nana episode is 94 and Seinfeld's, uh, not that there's anything wrong with that is, um, when is that? That's a little bit later. I think it's just a year later, actually. Actually, now that I think about it, it might, it might even have been a year earlier. Um, it's just right around, it's just right around the same time. Like, I think it's within a, like a year or two. And Seinfeld very clearly saying, "Oh no, no, the the homophobia is the is the funny part here, not the yeah. mistake that we're gay." And but no, yeah. Friends just goes right for it and like, "Haha, someone thinks you're gay." <laughs> that's yes, that's, that's the joke. And then that joke is repeated many times throughout the uh, throughout the the run of the show. To their credit, they also have the 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 lesbian wedding, which I think is very nice and very mm. lovely, and you know that's a, a positive depiction of a gay character. But also, um, the actresses later said they weren't allowed to kiss. NBC did not permit them to have a kiss in that episode, which is unfortunate. Um, and so when they did, you know, the the times when they did talk about, you know, get a little bit closer to the reality of queer people's lives on Friends, when it wasn't derogatory, it was something that they slipped in. Like, for example, there's an episode where Ross comes over and the um, Carol, his ex-wife, is insinuating that it's a bad time and she's with her partner and they're busy. And at one point she picks a hair out of her mouth. It's not commented on. It's not, you know, it's not highlighted, but she has said later that that's, they had to like sneak in dirty little jokes like that because they couldn't talk more openly about the fact that, Oh, these women have sex. It's just so like, I just, I personally feel like friends when it comes to stuff like that, they often pull the lowest hanging fruit to me. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. just feels like, oh, like it just makes you do that. It just makes you like, oh God, you know, like a lot of times I find when I'm watching that show, I'm mostly just tilting my head and shaking it. I'm not really laughing. And, mm-hmm. you know, even with stuff like the intimacy between Chandler and Joey, it always mm-hmm. has to be played into this like, you know, like anything, any intimacy between them as friends has to be played as like a big joke because that's gay. It's gay mm-hmm. shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, th- you know, that that these two guys live together and they have a close friendship is automatically soon to there's there's something there's a misunderstanding that could happen here. And it's it's funny because of how embarrassed they are about it. Yes. It's, you know, the, the time for that has passed, I think, by yes. something when those episodes are on the air. Yeah, it's like it. The perfect example of it to me is like how often you'll see, like, uh, uh, I guess it would be Joey like jumping into Chandler's arms, <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know what I mean, being caught by him, and like the joke is that they're doing something like uh, they're doing something emotionally vulnerable with each other, you know, and it's like it's gay shit, 
that's yeah oh my god yeah that toxic <laughs> so masculinity like, that yeah obviously it hasn't gone away but um it was really like there were a couple things that were considered like the most insulting thing you could do about you know the nineties mm-hmm. loved a make fun of the gays joke they loved the make fun of a fat person joke oh, they loved god, yeah. a make fun of a woman for not being feminine enough joke uh, yeah it, gender roles and and body policing was uh it was real funny like yeah by which I mean it wasn't but um I think that's those were those were the easiest hackiest jokes to make back then um. And uh, uh, there were a lot of sitcoms that were not immune to the uh, temptation uh, to go <laughs> to that very shallow well. The shallow well is the best way to put it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and it, yeah, I, I think we're in a much better place now when we've got like a modern family, for example, um, you know, that, a show that is written with, you know, a return to that authenticity that you're talking about with the nanny. Um, that is clearly a couple that is written by people who know gays, who are gay, who have gay people in and around their lives. Um, and so I think we can appreciate yeah. uh, what we've got now while also acknowledging, um, you know, TV depictions of gays waxes and wanes. It goes through cycles. Some, it, it has ups and downs. And we've been through ups before. We've been through downs before. And uh, you know, I, I think it is important for us to recognize that we can lose the positive depictions as easily yes. as we uh, much more easily than than we gain them. Um, so anyway, uh, remarking on the good and. Uh, preserving it and highlighting it, I think, as you were doing on the show, is very important. That's beautifully put. You took the words right out of my mouth. I'm Honestly, I was thinking, you know, I have a lot of younger people that listen to this show. And, um, you know, when it comes to seeing queer characters on TV, it feels like right now, you know, networks, they've turned the other page where it's like now there's this excitement about incorporating as much queerness into your show as you can, you know, and Mm -hmm. doing it in all these different nuanced ways. You have shows like Euphoria and, you know, it's very common now, but it really wasn't that long ago, like at all. Like I'm 34 years old. And I remember being like in college and seeing these things older than college. Like it was very, very recently that, you know, it was still very nuanced and very complicated. and, And a lot of shows weren't doing it as well as the examples that we've given today. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you said, it can very easily, very just as easily be taken away. And, you know, it's 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 a wild thought, but it, it could happen. I do think, you know, there are a lot of red flags and warning signs right now. Um, as we're recording this in 2022, in the past, um, culture, because of capitalism, has followed politics often, not mm. always. And um, so... In the 1970s, you saw a surge of gay stuff and then a a, a real freezing out um, because politically it became uh, unpopular around the mid 70s. And then a return to gay stuff around the late 70s when the politics shifted again and then a freezing out again with the election of Ronald Reagan and then a slow return over the over the 80s. And so that's what I mean, like the waxes and wanes, it comes and goes. Politics often informs it. Politics right now is um, worrisome. And uh, I think, you know, as as viewers, something that we can do is um, be vocal in our approval of gay representation that is done well. well and I, I, I think that is important so for reasons other than just because we like our shows. I think it is important, you know, politics, culture follows politics and um, <laughs> also follows the audience. So as as an audience, we can be we can use our voices to. Uh, to guide what we want to see on television. I, you had, I couldn't have said it better. And I just fucking appreciate you. And I'm so happy that you, 
I'm so grateful that you wanted to do this with me. I really enjoyed this conversation. And like I said, I love your YouTube channel. Anybody listening to this, please go check out Matt's YouTube. It is so good. If you're a YouTube girl, which many of you are, it's just so easy to get lost in your videos. Like autoplay, let it rip. Go for it, gal. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Yeah, you can find all my stuff on YouTube, Matt Baum. Uh, you can also, honestly, one of the easiest ways to find my stuff is uh, go to gaysitcoms.com uh, and that will have, uh, that'll link you to my newsletter. You can get on my newsletter, link you to my YouTube channel, link you to my other projects. My, uh, I have a podcast called The Sewers of Paris where I talk about gay stuff. Uh, so gaysitcoms.com will get you there. Amazing. Well, thank you again for doing this with me. Absolutely. Thanks so much for inviting me. You are so very welcome. I hope that you guys enjoyed it and I will see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Dunzo. This podcast is a part of the Solid Listen Network. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Also be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash solidlisten for exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McGee, and you can follow the podcast on all forms of social media at DunzoPod. That's D-U-N-Z-O. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew. 